0: You are now listening to the Bayshore Community Church podcast. Our mission is to connect to God, connect to people, and to serve the community. Thank you for joining us today, and wherever you are listening, we hope that this message inspires you, encourages you, and transforms you. Our prayer is that this is just the beginning of a conversation between you and Jesus. Enjoy the message. Well, good morning, everybody. Good to see you. What a great service we've had already, and uh, so great. to Give our worship team a big hand. It was a great... Worship set this morning. Before the service, I got to meet a whole group of uh, young ladies from China and Korea that are studying English at Salisbury University. Would you guys stand up? It's such an honor to have you with us this morning. And let's just welcome all these gals. So we are so glad to have you today. Thank you for being with us today. And I want to welcome our online family. Uh, wherever you're listening from we're so glad you're with us today and we're so grateful for you please let us know where you're listening from and let us know who you are we would just love to say hi to you and connect with you at a deeper level and also we want to welcome our Fenwick Island campus we love you guys you guys are doing such an amazing job Fenwick Island campus is growing and thriving and uh, we're in a, a renovation program there now and so many good things are happening Today we're in a series called uh, uh, Under the Gun. When you are under the gun, we've been talking about pressures that we find ourselves under when we are going through life. And uh, we talked about trouble. We talked about last week about trouble that you bring on yourself, how to deal with the shame and also the responsibility that that brings in your life. Today we're going to talk about uh, an unusual sense of uh, being under the gun. We're going to talk today about oppression and grief when you're under oppression and grief and uh, that's an important thing because sometimes I think you know we think of ourselves as people that follow Jesus if you're a Christ follower that we should be happy all the time and we should just be wonderfully euphoric all the time but the reality is as we walk through life that we experience sadness and sadness is a part of our journey and uh, you know it's important to think about that God gives us the permission to feel a whole, uh, a, a whole range of emotions in life. And sometimes we think that to really be a good Christian, that you just need to be happy all the time and full of joy and laughing and that you're just euphoric all the time. But that is not reality. Reality is not that. Garrison Keeler said, sadness is a part of life, and if you don't learn to embrace it, you're going to miss a lot of life. So that's an important thing for us to remember. I remember when I was a, a kid growing up, uh, I lived on a, a, in the country near Seaford and my grandparents had a little farm and my house was just across the road from their house and they had a big field in front. And I remember in the summertime walking uh, over the field to see my, my grandparents and I remember uh, in the summertime I had to cross this ditch to go... To get into the field to walk to my grandparents' house, and this ditch in the summertime was infested with sandburrs. And often you know what sandburrs are, you know, but they, you know, it's wild grass, and you got these little stickly burrs in it. And I remember, you know, instead of going around, I tried to to walk through that ditch without getting any sand burrs in my feet. I always went barefoot in the summertime, and I remember trying to navigate that ditch, and you know, would very gingerly try to step through there without, there without getting any sandburrs in my feet, but inevitably, I got sandburrs in my feet. And you can't go through life, you can't go through life without pain. You can't, there's no way to navigate your personal life without experiencing some pain. And uh, here's what I think that, uh, I, I know psychologists teach us this, that, that when you go through a change in life, when there's something that is... Uh, that you didn't invite in your life, maybe the loss of a loved one or the breakup of a relationship or some major change in your life, psychologists tell us that when we experience a change that we're not comfortable with, we view view that as a loss. We see that as a loss. And what do you do with a loss? Well, the right way to deal with a loss is you have to mourn the loss. And here's what I call the sequence of life. The sequence of life is an unwanted change, a sense of loss, appropriate mourning, and then acceptance and resolution. So this is how we go through life. You know, there's things that happen in our life that we did not put on the agenda. Those things happen to us, and because they happen to us, we have a sense of loss, and the right response to a sense of loss is mourning, and after you mourn something, you eventually evolve to a place where you accept it and there's resolution, and that's an important thing. So first thing I want to just give you today is I'm going to give you this sense that you are allowed, according to Scripture, you are allowed to feel sadness. You're allowed to have mourning. You're allowed to grieve. Uh, when I think about the human experience, the human experience is like the 88 keys on a keyboard or a piano. Just think of a grand piano. And I listened to this guy, this Korean pianist, uh, Yeruma, I think is his name. A river runs in you. It's a beautiful, he's a beautiful pianist. And I listened to George Winston. But when you think about uh, a, piano, a piano, a piano has 88 keys on it. And the black keys, of course, are your sharps and your flats. And the white keys are your, your main notes. And, uh, but when you think about a piano, you have the high notes. And you can play the treble end of the piano Or you can play the bass notes, but that piano is designed to play both high and low notes. God designed our emotions to experience great joy, great euphoria, but God also designed us to be able to experience sadness and sorrow. So if you feel sad, if you feel sorrowful, it doesn't mean that you're a bad Christian, it just means that you're human. And I think that's important for us to have permission. I grew up in sort of a Christian environment where, you know, you needed to have the victory all the time. You need to be happy all the time. You need to be joyful all the time. And, you know, really, that's a little bit of a burden, to be joyful all the time. But I realized after a while walking with the Lord that God has designed us to experience a whole range of emotions. So let me give you a couple scriptures to support this idea. First one is in Ecclesiastes. If you're ever having a really bad day, don't read Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes is, you know, uh, Solomon is in a midlife crisis. He's not doing good. And he just lets it out there, you know. And, but he gives them some really wonderful things to, 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 to free us from. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. You've heard this many times. For everything, there is a season... And a time for every matter under heaven, a time to be born, a time to die, a time to plant, a time to pluck up what is planted, a time to kill, a time to heal, a time to break down, and a time to build up, a time to weep, and a time to laugh, a time to mourn, and a time to dance. So God has designed in the human experience... Times to laugh, times to dance, but also times to mourn and times to uh, feel sadness. Jesus himself said in, in the Sermon on the Mount, B- Matthew 5, 4, Blessed are those who mourn. Not curse are those who mourn, not what's wrong with you if you mourn, but blessed are you if you mourn, for you shall be comforted. Uh, in Isaiah 53, uh, verse 3, it says this, this is the, uh, the description of the famous suffering servant in Isaiah, and many people believe it points to Jesus himself. It says, he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. So just remember this, feeling sad doesn't make you a bad Christian, it just makes you human. Feeling sad does not make you a bad Christian, it just makes you human. So that's an important thing. We also have in the scriptures, we have pictures of people, godly people in the Bible that love Jesus, people of faith, people in the Old Testament that were people that walk with the Lord, that had great faith, and yet they experienced great sadness. We have, for instance, uh, Abraham when his wife Sarah died. Uh, I remember one time doing a funeral, and when I got done doing the funeral it was a funeral of a grandmother and the family was distraught they were very very sad and uh, and I remember this perky Christian coming up to me I mean real perky person of faith and just overly confident and positive positive. and he said it's so inappropriate for these people to be crying and upset because their grandmother is in heaven and I said well their grandmother's in heaven but she won't be at Thanksgiving dinner this year and that's why they're struggling And so this idea that, hey, listen, you shouldn't be sad ever is totally dysfunctional, and it's not really biblical at all. We see uh, in the book of Genesis when Abraham's wife died, Sarah, she was 127 years old when she died, and I don't know how long her and Abraham had been married, but they'd been married a long time, and it says, Sarah lived 127 years, this is Genesis 23, 1 and 2, Sarah lived 127 years. These were the years of the life of Sarah. And Sarah died at Kira Abra, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan. And Abraham went to mourn for Sarah and to weep for her. It doesn't say that, you know, the Lord said to Abraham, Abraham, just be, just be positive. You had such a long life with her. You had such a great time with your wife. And she lived 127 years old. Just buck up. But Abraham, this great man of faith, who the Lord appeared to and wrote a covenant, a special covenant with him, this man wept and cried over his wife, and uh, he felt the pain of that. And then it says that when uh, this is one of my favorite verses. I remember when being in Sunday school, you know, when you had to memorize a verse. This was the verse I memorized in Sunday school: John eleven thirty-five. Jesus wept. That's one I can remember. <laughs> Jesus wept. What a great, what a great verse of scripture. Jesus wept. Jesus cried. You know, we think Jesus is always happy, just smiling and, you know, walking on the water and doing all this stuff. But in John chapter 11, we learn that Jesus' friend Lazarus had died. And it says in verse 3 of John 11, that when Mary and Martha sent word to Jesus that Lazarus was sick, here's what they said, the one that you love is ill. And you think about that, you know, doesn't Jesus love everybody? Why would it say the one that you love? I think the reason it says that is because there was a specific relationship that Jesus and Lazarus had. I think that Lazarus was Jesus's friend. I think when They went to uh, Jerusalem with the disciples. They always stayed at Bethany, about a mile away. And I think that they always stayed there. And I think Martha cooked this great food, and they had all this food. And I think that Lazarus and Jesus would, I don't know, I can't prove this, but I always believe that they had a porch around the front of the house and there were uh, Cracker Barrel rocking chairs on the front. (laughs) And that Jesus and Lazarus sat there, and they just talked, and they were friends. And Jesus loved Lazarus. They were buddies. And Lazarus dies and Jesus is standing in front of his tomb and he's weeping. Jesus is crying because Lazarus has died. And you think, well, why is that? Because he's going to raise him from the dead in just a moment. He's going to be raised from the dead and everything's going to be okay. But Jesus is letting us know that he's feeling the moment of what we all have felt and that sadness that we feel when we lose somebody Either through a breakup of a relationship or we lose somebody because they, they, they died and we lost them. Then it says in Genesis 49 that uh, Jacob, uh, who his name was also Israel, when Jacob died, his son Joseph wept over him. In Genesis 49, verse 33, when Jacob finished commanding his sons, he drew up his feet into his bed and breathed his last and was gathered to his people. Then look at verse 1 of chapter 50, then Joseph fell on his father's face and wept over him and kissed him. So I think that Joseph is feeling the remorse of all those years he didn't have with his dad when he was separated from his dad. And I think when when we lose somebody that we love, I think what we think about is we didn't have enough time with them. We just wish we had a little bit more time. But what was the response of Joseph? Joseph the response of Joseph that he wept over his father. And then it says in verse 4, and when the days of weeping for him were past." So it's appropriate for mourning and grief and for to be a healthy Christian. You know, one of the things that we go through in life is we go through loss and we go through separation and we go through pain and we feel that loss. And the Lord has said through his word, he gives us model after model after model, showing us that it's appropriate to grieve and to mourn and feel sadness sometimes. So that's an important part of our journey. Understanding grief. First of all, remember this. Number one, remember grief is a universal experience. Grief is a universal experience. And that means that everybody here today, everybody here has their own story. Everybody here has some sadness in their heart. There's something that you have lost in life that's very dear to you, and you feel that. My mom went to be with the Lord a couple years ago, about two and a half years ago now. And uh, my mom is in heaven. She loves Jesus. I mean, there's nobody who loved, loved the Lord more than my mom. I mean, she just uh, she would stand on the back uh, Row of my dad's church, and she worshiped the Lord, and she could never clap. She didn't have good timing. And I remember watching her trying to clap, and she couldn't clap very good, but she just totally loved the Lord, and she didn't have a really good voice, but she loved Jesus and she loved people, and she's with the Lord. But in my heart, every time I think of my mom, I have all of these wonderful memories about her, but there's always a little bit of sadness inside. A little bit of sadness. When I ride by, the graveyard where she's buried, every time I ride by there, I feel something inside, something sad. And it doesn't mean that she's not in heaven. It doesn't mean any of that. It just means that part of the human journey is to feel some sadness and grief in our life. But remember that grief is a universal experience. I'm reading a book right now by uh, Megan Devine. It's called It's Okay That You're Not Okay. And Megan Devine is not a believer, but she's got some interesting things to say, and I don't agree with everything in her book, but I'm really enjoying her book. She said, all of us are going to experience deep grief or loss at some point in our lives. All of us are going to know someone living great loss. Loss is a universal experience. The book of Job says, this is my, uh, in Bible college, Don Luce, my Old Testament professor, this was one of his favorite verses. Job 5, 7, but man is born to trouble as sparks fly upward. Man, when it says man is born to trouble, it doesn't mean a specific man. It means man generically. It means man in general. Mankind experiences trouble as sure as sparks fly upward. I remember when I was growing up, we used to have a burn barrel. Anybody ever have a burn barrel? I mean, I love the burn barrel. You know, and you would put your trash in there and you'd burn it, and you could see the embers coming up into the sky. And Job says, just as surely as you build a fire and the embers go in the sky, every single person in life will go through some trouble. There was some really bad theology out in the 70s that said, you know, if you, if you had enough faith, if you believe strong enough, if you had a good enough confession, that you could sort of shield yourself from all trouble in this world. And there's never been more devastating and more heresy ever perpetuated on the church because that's not true. That's not true biblically, and it's not true experientially in life. So trouble is universal. It's universal here's the other thing about trouble is is unique and grief is unique you know when you have somebody that's going through grief you know what we want to do is you want to say hey I know what you're going through I understand exactly what you're going through and we try to in in fact the person's struggling and and they're telling us their story and then we kind of one-up them with our story about what we've gone through but here's the thing about grief no two sets of grief are the same everybody's grief is different everybody's grief is unique and so when you try to compare your grief with somebody else's grief and what you've gone through it's really it's really an insult sometimes and here's what Megan Devine says about it she said there's a hierarchy to grief he said we need to talk about the hierarchy of grief you hear it all the time no grief is worse than any other I don't think that's one bit true There's a hierarchy of grief. Divorce is not the same as the death of a partner. Death of a grandparent is not the same as the death of a child. Losing your job is not the same as losing a limb. Here's the thing. Every loss is valid and every loss is not the same. You can't flatten the landscape of grief and say that everything is equal. It isn't. It isn't. Say this with me. Just to get this point down, just say, every person's, every person's grief is unique. Say it one more time. Every person's grief is unique. So our grief is unique, and what we, what we go through is unique. And uh, we always want to compare our our, our, our grief and our, our pain and our struggles with everybody else. Paul wrote at the end of uh, the book of Galatians, I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus, and I think that meant that... The, the, the wounds he got while he was serving the Lord. And everybody has marks. Everybody has wounds in their life. I remember one of my favorite movies is, uh, is uh, Steven Spielberg's Jaws. You know, how many of you remember watching Jaws? The original Jaws. You know, it's like Rocky. The original Rocky was great, everything else, all the other Rockies were bad. But the original Jaws was really, really good. And you remember that scene when they're, uh, Quinn and all of them are in the boat and the Orca and uh, Cheap Brody's there and Hooper and they're comparing their scars with each other and they're rolling up their pants pant legs and they're rolling up their sleeves and they're showing each other their scars and they're comparing their scars. Everybody has scars, but all our scars are unique. So grief, first thing to know is, is grief is universal and grief is unique. And grief, we grieve because we love. We grieve because we love. So when you're grieving, it's always a symptom of deep love. So I'm grieving because there's somebody that I love dearly. When I feel sad about my mom, when I feel sad that she's not there to cook dumplings this year for for Thanksgiving, for Christmas dinner, when I feel sad that I can't talk to her and when I feel sad about that, it is a tribute of my love for her, that I love her. And Megan Devine said this, she said, we commit to loving, if we commit to loving, we will inevitably know loss and grief. If we try to avoid loss and grief, we will never truly love. So it comes from our love, it comes from our love. I, uh, <clears throat> I remember reading about Teddy Roosevelt. Teddy Roosevelt was one of my favorite presidents. I love reading about him, but uh, it was uh, 1914 or 19, it was yeah, 1914, Valentine's Day. He was working in the uh, state legislation in New York and Albany, and he got a note, a telegram that he should come back to New York City right away because his wife was in labor with their first child. So Teddy Roosevelt jumped on the train and he traveled from Albany, New York, and he got back to New York City late at night. And when he got there, his wife had delivered their first child, Alice. But simultaneously in the same house, his mom lived with him. His mom was going through uh, some some very serious smallpox issues as well. And his wife had complications, had complications from... her her delivery of their first little girl, Alice, and his wife died in the morning. And that afternoon of the same day, his mother died. And this really, really tough, smart Harvard grad, very, very smart, very articulate, very strong man, went into grief. And he left his practice or what left his position at the New York legislature, Legislation and he went out to the Badlands in North Dakota and for two years he was a rancher and he was out in the open country uh, rustling cattle, walking in the woods, processing his grief. And why was his grief so deep that this great man had to leave everything and go out in the wilderness? His grief was so great because of how much he loved his mother and how much he loved his wife. And those two loves of his life died on the same day. And here's what Teddy Roosevelt said. He said, the light has gone out of my life. The light has gone out of my life. And he came back, of course, and as he came back, he... uh, you know, he got remarried and, and uh, went back into politics and became one of our greatest presidents ever. So say this with me. We grieve because we love. One more time. We grieve because we love. Number uh, three, grief is our emotions seeking to adjust to a new reality. Grief is our emotions seeking to adjust to a new reality. Megan Devine again says, she says, There are losses that rearrange the world, deaths that change the way you see everything, grief that tears everything down, pain that transports you into an entirely different universe, even when everyone else thinks nothing has changed. So when you're grieving, you are trying to deal with a new reality of life. What you're used to has changed. What you've been comfortable with has completely been turned upside down. And so grief is our emotions trying to deal with a new reality, and we're trying to remember how to, how to navigate that difficult time. And what we need to remember is, is that when we're going through grief, something major has changed in our life, someone major is not there anymore, something has, has dra- drastically changed in our life, and our grief is our way of trying to deal with this new reality that we're dealing with. And so we need to say to the Lord, Lord, I'm in a place I've never been before. I'm experiencing something I've never experienced before. I don't know what this is going to be like, and I need you to help me. And we need to let the Lord help us. And it reminds me of when the children of Israel were crossing into the Promised Land for the first time. Joshua, their new leader, was leading them. And the Lord told them to look at the uh, Ark of the Covenant and here's what it says uh, in Joshua chapter three, verses two through four. At the end of three days, the officers went through the camp and commanded the people, "As soon as you see the ark, the ark represented the presence of God, the grace of God with them. As soon as you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God being carried by the Levitical priests, then you shall set out from the place you follow. Yet there shall be a distance between you and it about two thousand cubics, which is about three thousand uh, feet." Do not come near it in order that you may know the way you shall go, for you have not passed this way before. In order, don't come near it in order that you may know the way you shall go, for you have not passed this way before. So when you're going through grief, you're trying to negotiate a new reality in your life and you need to put your focus on the Lord You need to put your focus on Jesus and you need to follow him because, and you need to put your hand in his hand because you're walking in a place you've never been before and when we deal with grief, it's the Lord comes to us and it says in in Psalm 23, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. We put our hands in his hand and we let him walk us through that reality and help us through that. How to deal with grief? Remember, first of all, Uh, Remember that some emotional pain is permanent on this earth. Listen to that. This is an important part of grief because here's the thing about grief. Remember that some emotional pain is permanent on earth. Here's the deal. We're going through sadness. We're going through grief. We're going through something that's dark in our soul. We say, hey, listen, I want to get back to normal. I want to get back to happy. I want to get back to happy as soon as I can get back to it. And I want all this pain to go away. You know, when you see the commercials on TV, you want, you want to take uh, Tylenol that makes your headache go away right away. And that's how we are in our culture. We're watching, Karen and I are watching Dope Sick right now on Hulu about the OxyContin, you know, history of OxyContin. And the whole thing about us as Americans, we want pain to go away. But pain is part of our journey. Pain is part of life. Instead of seeing pain as an enemy, we need to see it as part of life. So we want we want pain to go away. And here's the thing about pain. And there's this thing about grief is, is some grief, some pain, never goes away on this planet. You, it's part of your life, and it's part of what you go through. Listen, here's my little quote on that: some pain never goes away on this earth. God just gives you grace to carry it. Some pain never goes away on this earth. God just gives you grace to carry it. And I think that's an important principle. Say, Pastor Danny, do you have a scripture for that? Do you have a scripture to support that? I'm glad you asked because I do have a scripture for that. And it's 2 Corinthians chapter 12. So to keep me, Paul said, from being too elevated by the suppressing, suppressing greatness of the revelation, a thorn was given me in the flesh. A thorn in the flesh... Which calls, causes pain, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from being elated. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me, but He said to me, "My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness, so that the power of Christ may rest on me for the sake of Christ." Then. I am confident with weakness, insult, and hardships, and persecutions, and calamities, for when I'm weak, then I'm strong. What is the grace of God? The grace of God, when you're in pain, is his ability to do what you could not do on your own. So, when I think about grief, and I think about pain that way, and I think about, you know, my, uh, my uh, tendency is... As a pastor and people that talk to me about their stuff, and I always wanna fix things for people. Are you that kind of person? I just wanna fix it for them. I want them to feel better. I want them to feel happy. And uh, there's so much of life that's full of happiness and joy, but part of our journey, part of our journey is pain, and some pain is a part of our life for the whole journey, and God gives us the capacity to hold that. If a person loses a child unexpectedly, And to think that one day, that pain is just going to completely go away. That is not not congruent with how God created our emotions. But God gives us grace to carry the pain. So say this with me. Some pain is permanent on this earth, but God gives grace to carry that pain. Uh, You say, Pastor Dan, is the pain ever going to go away? Absolutely. There's a great verse in Revelation, Revelation chapter 21, verses 3 through 4. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor Nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. There's coming a time when the kingdom of God will reign on this earth, and you've got the concept of heaven and the kingdom of God coming to the earth, like the New Jerusalem in Revelation chapter 21. And the Lord said, "There's coming a time when every every tear will be completely dried up, and every pain will dissipate," and that's part of the promise we have in the Lord. So acknowledge your sadness, important to acknowledge that, you know, different types of losses, remember this, change uh, creates a sense of loss, the sense of loss creates mourning, and out of mourning comes acceptance. And that mourning can be like your kids leaving, when your kids leave home. Our kids, Karen and I, our boys left home early, we were uh, pretty young parents when we had them, and so we were pretty young, empty nesters. And what I remember is the sadness we felt, and I remember how quiet the house was, how quiet the house was. And some of you are sad because your kids won't leave. I get that. <laughs> and that's a whole different sermon, but, but a loss that you feel. You want to grieve with other people. Uh, you know, the thing about marriage is Karen? we've gone through Karen losing both her parents and uh, my losing my mom. Uh, and Karen and I have walked through some losses in life, things that we've gone through that are big, uh, loss of just things that we could never get back. And, you know, one of the things that about grief when you're married with somebody and that you're close, that you can process that together and you can become actually closer than you've ever been before because of the grief you went through together. And that's an important thing. I read this thing about uh, Irma Bombeck. I don't know if you remember Irma Bombeck. Irma Bombeck wrote a book years ago called uh, A Marriage Made in Heaven or Too Tired for an Affair. That was uh, the name of the book. It's a great little book. uh, And I don't know if anybody ever read Irma Bombeck or remember her newspaper columns. But she wrote this in her book, um, A Marriage Made in Heaven or Too Tired for an Affair, about her relationship with her husband, Bill. And this is a little long, but I'm going to read it because I can't tell it as good as she wrote it. Bill kept in touch with all his friends, but if they confided in one another and shared their intimacies of their lives, he never talked about it. One Sunday, we were visiting Ed, our best man, and his wife for a backyard barbecue. Ed announced that he was going to have open-heart surgery next week. He was pretty cavalier about it, so we were too. We'd get together when he was up and about. Ed never came home. Hours after his surgery, he died at the age of 33. Bill went off by himself and stood at the door, and I didn't know what to say. We must have realized at that moment that neither of us had, had, to, had ever handled pain of such magnitude. We didn't know what to do. Our parents had always done the mourning for us. We had always looked to them for assurance that things would be okay. If someone Something hurt, they made it better with some, anything from a kiss on the knee to a promise of ice cream. They had made death seem so simple with their pat phrases. She lived a good life, and he was just plain worn out. We did, we, what did we tell ourselves about Ed? He hadn't lived a long life, and he wasn't worn out. He was 33 years old. Our contemporaries weren't supposed to die. Our grandparents, of course, our parents possibly but not our generation. We were faced not only with a loss of one of our own, but with our own, our own mortality. My gosh, we're not gonna live forever. Youth didn't carry a guarantee. Wouldn't you have thought that someone would have warned us? What had we done in our lives so far to justify our years? Were we just living it for living it, or were we existing from day to day? What was really important, ring around the collar or spending time with your husband? Wouldn't anyone notice I had eradicated yellow wax built up on my kitchen? Or would my children remember me as a mother who never had time to listen to their stories at the end of the day? When I heard the news, my reaction was instinctive. I gathered my friends around me, not Bill, but my friends. With them, feelings came out easy. They were shocked and compassionate and said all the right things, but somehow I was not comforted. I needed intimacy and warmth. The house was quiet. As I passed the doorway of our bedroom, I could see the silhouette of of my husband sitting on the bed. His shoulders slumped and his head bowed. He looked so alone, and I wanted to carry some of the hurt, but I didn't know how. Here was the man with whom I shared three children, a home, And a life for 12 years, and yet we didn't know one another well enough to cry together. Our marriage had never taken either of us to that level before. It had always been like a business with each of us carrying out our individual roles. He was the provider, and I was the nurturer who could handle anything. Not to handle it, whatever it was, was perceived as weakness. I was going to reach out and touch his shoulder, but instead started to walk away. Then his voice broke the silence. We used to play together in the dirt together in the alley behind the garage, he said quietly. I made a place for myself beside him on the edge of the bed. He arranged our first date with with one another, I added. Slowly, awkwardly, with tears streaming down our faces, we we reluctantly reach out to one another. Neither of us knew how much strength we had to give, but we were willing to share it. We gave one another something that most friendships are not able to give, vulnerability. Throughout the years together, we had built up a history and closeness so subtle we didn't even know it was there. On that evening, we admitted we couldn't handle life alone. We needed one another. On that evening, for the second time, Ed had brought us together. Had Bill not been there for me or I for him, this probably would have been a shorter book. I think one of the great gifts that grief gives us is that it's able to bring husband and wives together to walk with each other through life together. You know, when I do weddings, I always, you know, we always do the traditional wedding. A lot of times these young couples, they want to get married and they want to write their own vows about butterflies and, you know, and, <laughs> you know moonlight nights and all that. And, Hey, it's their wedding. I say, just read it. Do whatever you want. I'm good. Make sure you pay me at the end. Anyhow, just that's fine. <laughs> but I always, I say, I don't, you know, I think these, these vows you wrote are wonderful. But we're going to read the regular ones too. Because it says, for rich or for poor, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish until death do us part. And that is what marriage is. Marriage is one of the best ways. Grief has the way, the stuff you walk through in life has the way of making your marriage unique and special. And those of you that are married and you have that gift and that's part of your your journey, you want to let that grief take you to a place of intimacy and closeness like never before. The last thing about grief, and I'm out of time here, but the last thing about grief is you come to a place of acceptance where you've got to accept your new reality. Yes, the Lord will help you, and then you have to accept your new reality. I was, uh, a couple of weeks ago, I was, I was feeling a little down, and I don't know why. I mean, I was just feeling a little down, and I'm usually a pretty up person. And I just took a walk and spent some time with the Lord, and I said, uh, uh, I just pray, and I said, Lord, I don't know why I'm feeling this way. I should feel better than I'm feeling. I mean, I got, I got, a, I got a beautiful family. I got a beautiful wife. I got beautiful grandkids. You know, my knee's better. I'm starting to play tennis. I got a new pole barn. What could a man want, you know? <laughs> and the Lord said to me when I was walking on my three mile walk, He said, You're mourning. I said, Lord, what am I mourning about? He said, You're mourning about the COVID casualties in your church, the COVID casualties in your church, the people that didn't die, but spiritually they've just, COVID has drifted them away from the faith and, and the faces I still long to see that I don't see. And I said, Lord, that is, you know, I, that's, that's true. I do grieve that. And he began to talk to me about the wonderful people that are in our church right now. And he said something to me that, and this is where grief brings you to a place of acceptance. He brought me to the passage in Joshua where the Lord said to Joshua after Joshua, after Moses had died. It said, where the Lord said to Joshua, Moses is dead. Moses is dead. You know, and you read the passage, it's a little funny, I mean, because... Everybody knows Moses is dead, but God said to Joshua, Moses is dead. Sometimes you've got to recognize that certain things in your life are dead. They're done. Certain, I know that there are certain people that I will never see again because of what COVID did to them. And God is doing a new thing, a fresh thing. But you have to come to a point, and I, my fellow pastors that may be listening to this message, the pre-COVID days are over with... That's over with. That is dead. And we need to embrace the new world that God has given us and the new church. God is building a brand new church here at Bayshore. And if you're glad to be a part of that, would you say a big amen? So grieving is because a change you didn't want, creating... A sense of loss that makes you mourn, that brings you to a place of acceptance so you can walk into your new reality in a fresh way. I want you to lift up your hands right now. There's people that are grieving here this morning in different ways. Some of you are grieving about a lost relationship, a breakup, or a a divorce. or Some of you are grieving, even grieving your age that you're not young like you used to be. Some of you are grieving that life has changed for you dramatically. And the Lord has given you grace for this new reality. He is with you. His strength is with you. And it's not a morbid place that you're in. It's a new place, a fresh place, a special place. It says in the book of Isaiah that I will do a new thing. I will do a new thing in you and it springs up in a fresh way. So, Father God, in the name of Jesus Christ, I thank you that the power of the Lord is here this morning to lift spirits. You're here today to help people. The world has changed. Their world has changed. And, Lord, we've been thinking and looking over our shoulder in the rearview mirror, waiting for life to get back to the way it used to be. But, Lord, this is a new day, a fresh day, and you're doing something new. And so we grieve that loss. But, Lord, we embrace the future because of what you're doing. And we thank you for your goodness and your love. Just say this with me right now. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you're Lord of my steps. You're Lord of this season of my life. This is a good season. You're with me and you haven't left me. Because you said in your word, never will I leave you and never will I forsake you. Thank you so much for joining us on the Bayshore podcast. I want to encourage you to take this message you just received and allow it to go deep into your soul and let Jesus do the deep work that only he can do. A special thanks to everyone that gives generously to Bayshore. It's because of you that this ministry is possible, creating life change all over the world. You can be a part of spreading the message around the world by going to Bayshore.online and clicking give. For all things Bayshore, visit bayshore.online to find out what your next step may be. You can subscribe right here and share this podcast with your friends and family. Thank you again for listening. God bless you.